Welcome, welcome, welcome to my podcast, Leaving Religion and Those We Leave Behind. I am your host, Amanda Joy Loveland, and as always, I am so thrilled that you are here. Make sure and head over to Amazon to go grab my latest book, Love and the Spaces in Between. This is a book that goes through my journey and my navigation and the things that I learned through each of my relationships, and it has a lot of really beautiful resources and tools for anyone that is in a relationship. And guess what? We're all in one because one of our most important relationships is the relationship we have with ourselves. So this book is for everyone, regardless of your relationship status. And because at the end of the day, I think we all would be on the same page that we want to have a better relationship with everyone in our life. So head over and grab my book on Amazon. I'll put the show in the show notes. I'll put the link down below. And then also you can go over to my website, amandajoyloveland.com. Don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter and um, head over and grab, go through the relationship quiz. This is a really cool quiz that at the end you'll get access to a mini relationship course that I have created and you'll get access to it for free. And without further ado, I want to introduce our next guest, John Ogden. He has co-founded and co-created, I think with one or two other people, I can't quite remember, a company called upliftkids.org. And this is a really, really, really beautiful resource. And I think it's perfect timing that I got to interview him this week and just the week after I interviewed my son, because there's definitely a need in the community for families that are going through faith transitions and where to land. And upliftkids.org offers a really safe place for families that feel that feels like there's a foundation. And they offer lessons and resources that you can go and sign up and, and get a membership. They actually are offering a $10 off membership through Sunday evening using the code HOLIDAYS. And I will put this in the show notes. So make sure to go to the link, grab the coupon code to get your discount. But they offer lessons for families that cover all sorts of religious beliefs. So whether it's the Bhagavad Gita or it's the Bible or the Tao Te Ching, they offer a lot of different perspectives and from different religions. So it's a really, really beautiful resource. And I'm excited to sit down with John Ogden and share this interview through Zoom that I did with him. Well, welcome, John. I'm so thrilled to be sitting with you. And I know we were trying to do this in person, but as luck would have it, we're doing it over Zoom. And thank goodness for technology to be able to do this. Yeah, that's thank right. Thank you. Yeah, yeah thanks thank- for having me. Yeah, of course. I'm really, really, um, I'm looking forward to this interview because I know a little bit about you. Uh, you were someone, somebody had referenced you to me as far as, you know, mm. that you would be a good interview to have on my podcast. And yeah, I love what you're doing now, which we'll talk about in a minute, but I would love to know your your Mormon story. You know, were you born and raised in Utah? What, yeah, what's your Mormon story? Yeah, I'll cover it briefly. I was born in uh, Utah, grew up for a little while in Spanish work, and then moved to Springville, Utah, so just south of Provo. And um, yeah, just grew up Springville High School, went on a mission, went Where'd to BYU. You, where did you serve? Uh, Ventura, California. Oh, cool. How was your mission? I I liked my mission. I had challenging times in terms of faith and belief um, as I talked to people about things and realized that I didn't know things that I, well, I, I realized that I knew I didn't know things that were true, that were negative about Mormonism. And that was difficult, led to a faith crisis there. Um, but overall, it was great. Awesome. So you went on a mission, went to BYU? Yep, went to BYU. I studied English literature um, and met my wife there and then did a master's degree there. And then have just worked in various companies since. Cool. So what was your, I'm done with Mormonism. I'm out. I mean, you, I'm, you're where you're at now in your life is actually assisting people who've left religion and their children. Is, is that correct? It is uh, though. The line between left and stayed uh, is kind of blurry. Uh-huh. I'll say for me personally, and for those who belong to uplift. Um, so 
Yes and no. You want to elaborate? <laughs> we can, yeah, we can elaborate on that. Yeah. So um, what we found is that people who still attend Mormonism, there are many people who are interested in a more expansive view of spirituality and they want to pull from the world's wisdom traditions. They don't want to be limited to just Mormon Mormonism's approach. Yeah. And there are many people who have left Mormonism who also want some way to give their kids a foundation after leaving. And so I personally don't attend church at this time, Um, but there's still so much in me that feels Mormon and feels okay with claiming Mormonism at some level Mm -hmm. while uh, being completely honest about the things that don't work for me and the things that don't fit my current beliefs. So the, the goal of Uplift Kids is to give people a foundation, whether they're in or out of religion. And we um, pull from the wisdom traditions without saying that anybody has to subscribe to any certain tradition. Mm-hmm. There's not just one. It's like yeah. it's going to all of them. Yep. That's awesome. Why did you start doing that? Why did we start Uplift? Mm-hmm. Because I, it, it came about because there were uh, four of us, including me, in a nine-month course from Lower Lights, which is a mindfulness and meditation community in Salt Lake City that Thomas McConkie runs. And uh, we were talking about what do you do with kids yeah. after a faith crisis, mm-hmm. whether that faith crisis, uh, after the faith crisis, you still remain in Mormonism or after the faith crisis, you leave Mormonism. What do you do with your kids? Yeah. And it's a need that I felt really sharply in my life because I want my kids to be well-versed in the wisdom traditions. I want them to have, um, spirit to be spiritually healthy. I want them to be ethically, um, upright, I guess, and, um, to have good emotional regulation. Mm-hmm. And so these are the things that led us to say, Hey, what if we started a curriculum and lesson library that could help kids navigate these things? And not only that, but could help parents figure out like, well, what, what is a foundation now? Mm-hmm. What do I actually believe? What do I want to teach my kids? I want to teach them something. It doesn't, I don't want to just teach them like the opposite of Mormonism and leave right. it at that. <laughs> uh, I want to have them be spiritually healthy as well. And so it grew out of that concern and those questions that we had ourselves. That's awesome. So how long has it been that you've, I mean, you say you're not attending now, but do you feel like you've stepped out of Mormonism or you're still kind of, it doesn't matter. Uh, so let's see, how long has it been? Um, three, three, four years in that, mm-hmm. in that range. Um, yeah, I lose track of time, especially with COVID. I know. Um, <laughs> but it's been it's been around that time. I still I so I'm not as involved in my ward, but I'm still like involved in Mormon conversations uh-huh. and conversations about faith and conversations about spirituality. So sometimes they overlap with people who are actively attending, and sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't I don't feel hostile toward people who choose to stay. And I can see a lot of legitimate reasons to choose to stay. Um, it broke down for me for a number of reasons. My, me primarily because of, um, just differences in belief as I realized things on my mission that was like, Oh, the dominant narrative of Mormonism doesn't quite add up. And then realizing more as I read about um, the historicity of the New Testament and things like that, 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 that uh, there's a lot more metaphor than I had initially thought mm-hmm. when it comes to something like the New, the New Testament. So that led to me feeling like, oh, I, I believe something different when I go to church. And that, that feels really tense for me. And then at the same time, my wife was having... Um, increasingly problems with the uh, feminist issues of around Mormonism. Mm -hmm. And so, and understandably, so um, 
kind of came to a headway with just um, disagreements in the ward and kind of something of a falling out. Yeah, that's not, I know that there's been a lot of women, especially women that are, it, that one's a tricky one with how to navigate mm-hmm. that within the Mormon religion. Cause there's not, yeah. um, that one's one of those things that I, what's the saying now put it on your shelf. I mean, I, I know a lot of people yeah. that still do that. I'm just going to have to put it on my shelf because there's no place for it. And I don't believe that this, you know, what God would not have a balance between male and female. Yeah. And, and that is, that is a tricky one. If I was still yeah. in, yeah, I left back in 2012, so it's been a little while, but yeah. that would have definitely pushed me out. <laughs> yeah. I was still in. So how many children do you have, John? Two. How old are they? 11 and six. Have you, it, what's interesting is just the timing of me interviewing you. And I know we had to kind of push it back a little bit because I was sick for a few weeks. Um, I ended up interviewing my son, my 19 year old Mm -hmm. son on my last, did you listen by chance? Yeah. And it was a really interesting thing to sit down with because I, I feel like most parents, I think this is just such perfect timing that I interviewed him and now you and I are chatting too, to have a resource available to parents because I have found so many parents will not leave because they're so afraid of what that mm-hmm. choice will do to their kids. And now what do I do? And I even noticed when I left my mom, my family's still in, except for my sister, my mom was so, well, your kids aren't going to know about God. You need to take them to another church. And mm-hmm. she was so nervous that my, my kids wouldn't have any kind of religion. Um, and so I think it's really cool that you offer some sort of a resource that is available for parents who've left. So they feel like, like you said, that stable ground, that stable footing with, Hey, here's a myriad of things that they can learn. Cause there's truth in all things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. There's so much power in being able to know the wisdom traditions, including Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, Shintoism, Stoicism, secular humanism, etc. There's wisdom in all these traditions and there's so much power in spiritual practices. And there's a reason that uh, billions of people around the world do choose religion because that power is real. Um, What, as I see it, um, what, when it gets corrosive is when any single one of them says, oh, we're the only ones Mm -hmm. and all the other ones are wrong. And, um, they're not only wrong, but they're harmful rather than uh, this more ecumenical universal approach, Mm -hmm. which is to say like, Oh, we're all, we're all trying to align ourselves to our inner compass. And we're all trying to align ourselves to a greater mystery that's transcendent. And uh, we have these spiritual practices that help us do those things. Mm -hmm. And so Uplift really says like, well, how can we focus on the spiritual practices that can help us have higher well-being? And the practices have increasingly been validated by uh, researchers, including um, a researcher out of Columbia University who we pull from quite a bit. Her name is Lisa Miller, and she's a psychologist who studies spirituality. Mm. And um, she's one of several. But it's clearer and clearer from neuroscience and from um, other other forms of research that these spiritual practices do lead to higher well-being. And so there are so many parents, like you're saying, who are saying, oh, man, I know that there is a problem, say, with feminism and Mormonism, and I don't like some of the social political positions that many of the fellow members have. And um, the truth claims don't quite add up, but I don't know what to do about Mm. my kids. And so I'm going to stay for that reason. I think that reason is valid because they can get, that can be helpful. Um, I don't know if it's always sufficiently valid, but I think it is a valid reason. And so, yeah, again, Uplift aims to be a way for parents in this who are facing these problems to be able to say, 
you know what, we can uh, still have this spiritual resource, whether we stay or we leave Mormonism or any other religion, and it can help us find higher well-being as a result. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know in my experience and others, when they leave Mormonism, a lot of times they feel um, jilted. It's almost like the layers come off, you know, they nine times out of 10, right? Especially in Utah, people are born into the religion. This is all they know. So it's embedded in their, in their psyche and their subconscious. And then things start happening to make them question and the layers start coming off to where they feel they have been lied to. Mm-hmm. And as they go through this process, God in the contentious sense of the Mormon God dies. Right. And so shifting into any kind of religion is really, really struggling. It's a challenge because it's kind of like wanting to give the finger to any kind of religion, including God, when we step out of Mormonism. And I would say, and I'd be curious your thoughts on this because I would say probably 80%, maybe it's not that high, go through something similar to that with, you know what, screw this. All religions are ridiculous. I'm out. And they go through that angry, bitter phase. Um, what have you found? I'm just curious your thoughts on that, I guess. I've seen the same thing. I would be so interested to know the percentages on that, but I've seen it happen over and over. Um, there are some former Mormons who do start attending evangelical circles, but the majority in my experience have said, I'm just going to be done with it. Yeah. And so what that can, what can happen as a result is that they're skeptical of anything that talks about spirituality. They mm-hmm. are yeah, spiritual. I don't want it. And I think there's a loss in that. And um, I think that even the most secular minded or atheistic minded person doesn't necessarily have to give up on anything spiritual. Um, for instance, uh, Sam Harris has his waking up uh, app and podcast, and he's he's one example of many people who are secular and spiritual. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, I can also relate and sympathize with people who say, "I just want to give it all up because um, there's a huge pain with it." Yeah, there's, so there's a, a mourning, exactly. a loss, a death. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So what have you, John, when you went through your process of of choosing out, it sounds like it wasn't something um, that was a very emotion. I mean, there's emotion in it, but it sounds like it was a little bit more of a logical, like this just doesn't compute. And so I'm going to shift into something, something else. What have you found? Because when you start going into Buddhism and all the different religious beliefs that are out there are just religious contexts. and literature that's out there. I mean, it's quite, it's quite massive. And it sounds like you're well-versed in, in most of those that are out there, especially if you're doing uplift, Mm -hmm. what has your belief gone to now from Mormonism to, Hey, you know, we're here to get a physical body, eternal families. And, you know, that's the main reasons why we're here. Then, then there's three degrees of, of glory. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing what, what's your belief system now? That's a big question. I would, I know it's with, a big question. <laughs> I, I would start with uh, the mystery. Like I, and maybe this is a paradox, but I'm a firm believer in the mystery. Uh, like just the, I, the notion that there, that, whatever is true or ultimate reality is just so much more mysterious than I ever thought. Mm -hmm. And I also have a firm belief in the power of spiritual experience that we can have these experiences in Mormonism. We'd call it feeling the spirit. Mm -hmm. Like I think that I think that feeling the spirit is real and it's not necessarily that the interpretation of that experience and the Mormon interpretation of that experience is the valid interpretation of the experience because uh, it gets usurped. It gets, it says like, 
because you had a spiritual experience, therefore, you know that Mormonism is true. Mm-hmm. But this is the same method methodology that many religions use. And yet the experience is real. Right. And so I don't know if that clarifies anything. <laughs> it might just muddy the waters even further. Uh, but I do hold that um, spirituality is real, that reality is very mysterious. I also hold that um, we're all in this together. And that we, what um, we need to expand our view of the world to include each other and to include all beings so that we can uh, live more ethically. Mm-hmm. And so the, the tribalism and minor divisions are often off-putting and very difficult to navigate in practice. But that's another aspect to it is that like, we're all, we're all trying to align to this greater mystery. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I think I just actually posted about this at the end of the day, everyone's doing the best they can with what they have. Mm-hmm. And it is that there is a, I, you sound like a seeker, one that's always mm-hmm. seeking, which um, you and I are similarly minded in that way. I'm always fascinated um, by truth. And I think with, with what you're saying with the spirit or feeling the spirit, it's just there to validate the truths that we're, we're experiencing. And, and, and at the same time, truth is subjective. And this is what I find fascinating in our society is depending on the eye of the beholder, something to one person can be truth and to another can be completely false. And so in that moment, I can have a spiritual experience with that thing that I am viewing as truth to me and someone else would have a completely opposite experience. And so this comes down to that fact that spirituality should be a very personal thing. Mm -hmm. You know, when you're talking about, um, I don't know if you use the word tribes, but as you were speaking, I was thinking of tribes and the tribal Mm -hmm. systems and it, it should be a very, very personal thing, a connection to God and whatever that looks like. And um, you had said something earlier as far as, oh, with religion saying that, you know, they're the one true church or the one true religion mm-hmm. and that you think that that is one of the biggest downfalls. And I would agree with that along with. I feel I feel with religion where I struggle is when religion gets in the way of our connection to God mm-hmm. and having that direct source and that direct connection that I as a woman, since we were talking about the feminine, the feminine aspect a minute mm-hmm. ago, have every right and access to have a direct communication with God or to my higher self source, whatever you want to call it. And there doesn't have to be an intermediary that's in between us. And that's one of the things that in my experience, and it's not like Buddhism doesn't teach that there's several things that don't teach that, but there's a lot of religions that do. And I, for me, I feel that that is one of the biggest disservices that religion does to humankind with taking that ability to connect directly with source and Mm -hmm. with the ability to receive our own answers. Um, Yeah. Thank you. I know that was a big question that I had asked you. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot more to say on it. Um, But just to riff off what you were just saying, that point is the first point in our approach at Uplift, which is that we all have an inner compass we all have direct, we all can have a direct experience with spirituality. And so that's kind of our North star when we, when we're, whenever we're preparing one of our lessons in our curriculum, it's that how can we help kids and families really attune to their inner compass? Mm-hmm. Because Lisa Miller, again, and others have found that those who really practice that aligning with their inner moral compass have higher well-being. Mm -hmm. And this can happen in religious settings, and it can happen outside of religious settings. And yet that is the thing that can really make a big difference in people's lives. Oh, 100%. Because that's your foundation. That's when you really know who you are. Mm-hmm. Because you've gotten so familiar with with that ability to ask 
for yourself what the answer is to something, which most people through religion give that power away. Mm -hmm. And so trying to reclaim that is, is challenging and people will naturally move to other types of gurus or other types of spiritual thought leaders to tell them what to do because they are used to being told, you know, they're used to giving their power away. And in any scenario, claiming your power back and owning that would be beneficial for all of us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I love that. So with Uplift, are you guys teaching classes? Are you, what are you doing? We have a lesson library and curriculum for families so that they can talk about values such as kindness, compassion, generosity, um, et cetera. We also do have a, a module on emotions. So how do you deal with grief? How do you work through anger and other big emotions? Um, we have a module on wisdom practices, meditation, journaling, expressing gratitude. Um, gratitude is always such a big one. Yeah. Such an easy practice too. Yeah. And so we have more than 70 of these lessons at this point that uh, include multimedia, include um, selections from the world's wisdom traditions. They all include also research from psychologists and um, therapists from a variety of universities. And so we're really about integrating the wisdom, ancient wisdom and modern science Mm -hmm. and pulling from wisdom wherever it is and pulling from truth wherever it is. And so that's, that's what we offer. And so families can sit down and, and do these lessons. Uh, they're typically like 20 minutes. They can do a lesson altogether, or they could um, pace it out through a week. And so we have it so you can break it down and just say like, hey, let's just sit down for five minutes and watch this video and discuss, or let's do this one activity, or let's read this one quote this one wisdom quote and talk about it Mm -hmm. and so we really make it flexible so that it can fit different families needs and um really give people a sense that oh we do have a foundation like there is a lot here we're not starting from square one just because we happen to say for instance leave a religion Mm -hmm. we actually have lots of wisdom from a variety of traditions that we can stand on. And we know that there are a lot of good uh, resources as far as research goes that we can stand on. Mm -hmm. And so suddenly our intention is that people find Uplift and they say like, oh, here's a foundation and we can explore it and be be flexible with it. Uh, We're not, it's not dogmatic in the sense that any, no part of it has to be accepted and it's all up for debate, but uh, at the very least it gives people a sense that, Oh, there's ground here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's like, like you said earlier, they have, they feel like they can have a foundation, which mm-hmm. I think is, is beautiful because most people do feel like they're, they're treading water when they step out of something that they have known for a very long time. Yeah, exactly. So with your children, cause they're pretty young. Have you, I would assume you practice this with your family. Yep. How has it gone? It's gone well. Um, we, yeah, we typically do it on a Sunday, but then we also will break it up throughout the week um, in addition. And it's led to a lot of really productive conversations and interesting conversations. And one thing I've noticed is that, say, we'll have the lesson on, let's say, gratitude on Sunday. Then um, we'll be watching a show together and we'll notice, like, oh, see that character actually just express gratitude and it just makes the, it makes the, whatever topic we're talking about alive through the week. Mm-hmm. And so we can refer back to it. And so it just has this natural organic quality to it. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's really so, cool. Yeah. What have you noticed with the families that have come to uplift? How do, I mean, I'm sure I'll make sure I share your website in the show notes but how have people found you? What have you noticed when people do come in, what they've liked, what they don't like, you know, with the wins that you're experiencing, if you wouldn't sure. mind sharing. Yeah. 
so we started a prototype. Um, this was a year and a half ago. We started doing prototypes and we found quickly that families really like videos. So we curate videos because it's just an easy way for families to push play and then talk about it and then move into an activity, move into a discussion, et cetera. So a lot of people are big fans of the videos and the activities. Um, and then we also found this kind of surprised me. Every single lesson has a parent, um, a parent guide just to help the parent get oriented to the lesson topic. And this is where we have wisdom and the research. And I've, we found repeatedly that parents will come to us and say like, Hey, that that's actually one of the most helpful aspects mm-hmm. of uplift is that we didn't even know that we should be talking to our kids about this topic. But now that we can see the research and see like how the research validates teaching your kids this topic, whether it be about consent, sexuality, LGBT stuff, racism, you know, we cover all those things as well. Uh, and then it's like, oh, here are all these aspects that therapists and researchers have said are helpful. And so just by having that parental guide and sitting down and looking through it, they say, oh, that's really, that's really useful for us. But the best stories are those um, where families will come to us and say like, hey, I, I had really had a this problem with my kid, it kept coming up again and again, we did this lesson and it actually helped with them um, just interacting more positively in the home. Mm-hmm. One example is the lesson on our lesson on chores, like a family who is having a hard time getting their kids to actually do chores, want to do chores. They sat down and did the lesson on chores, came up with a game plan and it went far more smoothly after that. Oh, that's awesome. Do you dive into things like um, uh, energetics, being empaths? Do you do anything like that? I'm just curious. Yeah, it's a good question. We haven't gotten to that yet. We're building out our wisdom practices section and yeah, want to explore various aspects. I mean, I'm a shaman, so I love anything energetics and um, I just, especially with kids, Mm-hmm. The, um, the empathic piece has been huge in my, in my arenas and where I travel and how many times these kids are picking up emotions that are not even theirs and mm-hmm. not recognizing that, Hey, that's this, this headache or this pain I'm feeling, or this emotion that I'm feeling, it's not even mine. Mm-hmm. And it's huge with our kids. And I have a belief that uh, the kids that are coming into our world are become are more and more in tune and more and more able to have energetic and spiritual connections more than we were. And, um, I think I feel very strongly that there's going to be people like you, and I don't know if I'll do anything down the road that help to teach these tools to parents so that we can help navigate the world that they're living in, because it's completely different than the world that we grew up in and our parents grew up in. And yeah, so that's awesome that you're, you're starting to cultivate that. Super cool. Yeah, I'm curious. I mean, if it's okay, if I ask a question, (laughs) Uh, how have you seen that work in your home? Like, have you talked to your kids about that topic and seen a result? So we're extremely open um, with those topics, mainly because that is my world. Mm -hmm. Um, I communicate with with the sounds. I guess I was going to say I communicate with spirits all the time. Um, I work in the mystery realms. I mean, I'm always moving in between the realms. And so I have tried to always keep that open with my children. And and my youngest, when he was uh, quite young, probably two, and just being able to, or even younger, when he was just starting to talk, he could see spirits and it would freak out the babysitters. And so then they would, you know, get scared and it would naturally shut that gift off. And you'll find that um, because of our society, because of the things that we've been conditioned to fear, that we have naturally conditioned those things out of our kids because they aren't, so it's not normal. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. Um, My daughter is extremely empathic. And so I've had clients at the house to where they'll, 
we'll move through some emotions and my daughter afterwards, she'll tell me she's got certain pain or certain emotions that are up that were identical to my client. So I had to start working with her of, Hey, just ask the question, is this mine or is this someone else's? And even just that question would instantly send it away. Mm -hmm. Um, And nine times out of 10, especially with her, um, that's all she had to do is just ask that question. Is this mine or is this, is this not mine? Um, so yeah, we have a lot of, I mean, for me, and I shared this on the last podcast with my kids, when I first left religion, we would practice meditation and I would teach them quite young to still the mind and quiet. And we play with, I've gotten chastised for this because we play with energy balls and use our imagination. Cause when we use our imagination, it actually opens the God brain, which is um, the pituitary gland. And, uh, or the pineal, which one's the crystalline? I always get those mixed up, but, um, anyway, so a lot of it's been play and creativity and fun. And, um, I do a lot of, I've done a lot of different things with my kids and our, my house has turned into a house to where, uh, a lot of their kids, their friends are very comfortable here. And I have Buddhas all over the place and my crystals and, but they, yeah, they feel like they can ask things here or I have this issue or oh, wait, you can feel that in someone else kind of, mm. kind of questions that I feel like our kids are craving and just thriving for this knowledge and this understanding and, and tapping into wisdom that's within them. That's not being managed correctly. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah, it does. I think that there is a, a great hunger because the overriding culture is secular and is um, consumeristic. Mm-hmm. And so everything becomes transactional and there's no, there's no soul in that. Yeah. And I think that people sense that, oh, this is empty, like, and it's painful and it's depressing like and anxiety inducing to have like our whole lives be centered around transactions and mm-hmm. buying things and 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 then shutting down all mystery and so i think there's a great hunger for um I agree. spiritual connection and spiritual health and people even and sometimes especially within religion um are struggling with it as well because the, again, the overriding culture is this secular culture that seeps into the religion and then it becomes bureaucratic and it mm-hmm. becomes like, like a business, um, in its own, and it's very its much own outside way. of them. I think mm-hmm. that's yep, one of the exactly. biggest problems. Yeah, exactly. I just have to listen to this other person and then I know I have to do X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And that is spirituality. It's like, no, that's, it's not really, um, spirituality. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, well, even the ceremony, right. I was just writing about this mm-hmm. in my book yesterday. Ceremony is something that we've had as far as our, our, the earth has had since the beginning of time yep. and some ceremony slows us down and connects us to not only the elements, but especially to the earth energies. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of different research and different belief systems as far as why anxiety is so rampant, especially in our, in our teens and our youth. And part of it, I think, is TikTok, frankly, and saying that there's now, oh, my daughter, I remember once she's like, I think I had a panic attack. And I'm like, what do you, how do you even know what a panic attack is? And it's because of TikTok and social media. And, um, but I think the loss of connecting to the earth, I mean, I grew up as a total tomboy. I was out in the mountains all the time, barefoot. And, you know, and our kids now are on the computers and completely detached from, the elements of the earth that are part of part of who we are. Mm -hmm. And um, so I've, I've done fire ceremonies with my children and the other day, and I, it's not like I've done a ton and then they see me do different things like this. And the other day, my daughter was struggling with something and it, Oh, it was a friend issue and uh, she's 16. So that's a big deal. Friends. And all of a sudden I see her walk outside. She's got paper in hand. She turns it. We have a little gas fireplace outside. She turns it on. She does her home, her own little ritual, her own little ceremony and um, comes and says, mom, I feel so much better. I went and she did, 
you know, something that I've told her to do before, write it out, get out your emotions, write everything out you want to say to this person and then go burn it because fire transmutes the energy. And it was one of those mom wins of like, oh my gosh, she did on her own. I didn't even have to say anything. And, and so I think it, our, our kids are so impressionable and with technology and these things that are coming in and this, this gap between the wholeness of the element, I keep saying the elements probably mm-hmm. because it's snowing outside and, yeah. um, that are just lost. And so as parents, for us to even suggest these little tools that have such a quick effect, um, is, is powerful for our kids, yeah. but I don't know. I love, I love this stuff, John, you and I can, I mean, <laughs> I'm also becoming an NLP practitioner. And so the other day with my son, I'm practicing this, this little thing on him and how quickly, you know, even our kids knowing how quickly they can change these old programs and mm-hmm. our old thought beliefs or limiting beliefs that can be so fast mm-hmm. and just teaching ourselves and our kids that we can be like, we're the masters of our fate. Like we're hundred percent in control of what happens and how quickly we can, we can shift things. is pretty, pretty powerful. It is. And I love you uh, bringing up the elements because this is increasingly on my mind as well. Just like, how do we um, get in the rhythm of nature yeah. and kind of live in accordance with the rhythm rather than out of step with the rhythm? And um, it, it manifests and uplift it is like we have many lessons for the holidays, like things to do on the holidays and then tuning into equinoxes and solstices which i i had never really been aware of growing up um but you know the the rhythms of nature are another way to have a foundation Mm -hmm. so again like after a faith crisis you're like well what do i what do i hold on to now it's like well Well, the every year they're the you know the natural rhythms of of nature are giving you a foundation if you just kind of step into those rhythms mm-hmm. and do things with those rhythms, then you actually have a very strong foundation again. Well, and again, those are things that go back to the beginning of, of mm-hmm. time that there's a beautiful series on Gaia that goes into ancient mysteries. And one of them is on Stonehenge mm-hmm. that my daughter kind of binge watched because she was fascinated with it. And it is fascinating when we start opening up to what's possible and what's out there, kind of what you spoke to earlier with the mystery of things. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, even when we start going into space and how things have been aligned with the astrals and with the star constellations and how, how our ancestors and how societies for centuries, they didn't necessarily worship, but they did go into the cycles and honored mm-hmm. those seasons and mm-hmm. Stonehenge, the way that it's set up and the way that the magic was actually brought in and the power that was actually able to be cultivated um, is fascinating. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've ever watched it. I'll have to send, I'll have to send you the link. Cause it's quite, especially because of the connections with Mars, the planet Mars. Mm. Anyway, you and I can have another whole other conversation. On <laughs> sure. Too. Sure. But, but yeah, again, this, I think goes, goes to really the, when we dumb, maybe dumb down is the wrong, when we start removing the layers and we simplify what really matters to Mm -hmm. me. And for me, some of my deepest moments are when it's the the stillest, Mm -hmm. when it's the quietest, when I, my mountain nature, when I am doing my fire ceremonies, when I, you know, all sorts of things that are not all the themes, but are connected to the elements. It brings us back to our roots and who we really are, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I know I'm like, we could probably keep talking for quite a while about these kind of spiritual truths. And I, and I love this stuff. I mean, this is, I, I absolutely love this stuff. Is there anything else that you would love to share as far as what you do, what you've learned? What you've experienced. I'm kind of curious what your relationship with God looks like now. Mm-hmm. If it's changed. Yeah, it's changed dramatically. Um, and it's in flux. I'll say I feel at times I feel more and more comfortable uh reclaiming that word. 
God. Mm-hmm. Um, it has been difficult because the word just in culture has its own denotation and connotation that um, I don't necessarily love because uh, it's like so rooted in the Bible uh, and culturally. Um, and I think God is far bigger than the Bible mm-hmm. and God is bigger than any religion and God is bigger than I can fathom. Uh, and so again, that's like, uh, the mystery God is the mystery, uh, source spirit, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to put a label on it, but I have increasingly felt more and more comfortable just claiming the word yeah, and just saying like, well, people may misunderstand what I mean by it. And so be it, but there's also like this, there's a power in the word. Mm-hmm. And so, um, in terms of practicality, I still pray. Um, and in some ways my prayers still look Mormon, uh, in other ways they don't, but it is a time to just have a formal way to express gratitude and to visualize and to be still. Mm-hmm. And so I still pray regularly and pray with the kids and really aim to have it be heartfelt and intentional and focused. And so I still find a lot of power in all of that. And so I still feel like my connection with God is very strong. I no longer feel like um, I need to worry about not measuring up. Mm. Like I feel like while I have plenty of flaws and there are so many things I can do better, I don't fear that, that there's some transcendent being that is disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. and is even hostile toward me because of a decision I made. Yeah. I feel like the, the, that which is transcendent is always rooting for me to do my best and to be my best. Mm-hmm. And at times I, I, I mean, it's as simple as just really in, uh, intuiting and really taking to heart a line from somebody like Mr. Rogers, who says like, I like you just the way you are. And I feel that that's a transcendent voice yeah. and that, that what that does is it um, makes me want to increasingly be better and more generous mm-hmm. and kinder. And so that, whatever that is, is God uh, to yeah. me. Beautiful. I love that. And I do agree that, you know, that phrase that you use from Mr. Rogers, if we take that idea of the judgment we're being judged out and off the table. It does leave so much more room to have compassion for the self and then for others. And mm-hmm. um, has your, this is a loaded question. Has your view of Christ changed? Oh yeah. Yeah. A lot. Do you mind sharing? Um, yeah, I can share. Uh, this is, this is what kind of really shifted things for me. So I had, my I had my faith crisis on my mission, which was 2004, mm-hmm. uh, and it was really devastating yeah, to know. learn things about Mormonism and to feel like, oh, I can't talk to anybody about any of this. Um, but I can see that the dominant narrative is does not align with um, what I've learned about Joseph Smith and about other aspects of Mormon history. But then when I got to BYU, kind of um, put all of that on the shelf and just kind of focused on school. Then when my best friend from high school and my sister, my younger sister left Mormonism, it kind of stirred all that back up. Mm -hmm. And that was like 2013 when I was like, okay, I am certain that now that the dominant narrative isn't true when it comes to Mormonism, Mm -hmm. but then I continued to participate in Mormonism, um, for the next five years. So I guess, yeah, it has been three years. And so, yeah, it was five years of being completely within Mormonism, doing everything. And then every single Sunday being like, yeah, I don't, I don't believe the same way, but I like the community. 
and I like the people and I like the, the structure of having someplace to gather. I love seeing hymns. I love the intention for spirituality here. There's so much that I love and I just don't believe the same things, but it wasn't until around that time, 2017 or so that I really started doing a deep dive into new Testament history and just realizing like, Oh, here again, there is so much that biblical researchers know about the new Testament that wasn't known a hundred or 200 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it still isn't widely known and it's really powerful and really convincing, but it does change. It did for me. I'll just speak personally. It did change my view of Jesus um, in the process. Now, uh, I did find out that in the course of doing this, that like somebody like Martin Luther King also had a very similar thing happen to him in the fifties. Uh, and yet he still used the Bible for its power to move people. And he still used the stories of Christ and of Jesus, uh, to move people. And so that's just kind of the, the place that I've been up when you ask it, like, what's my current view on Christ? It's like, I, I find so much power in the new Testament mm-hmm. And in so much in the New Testament, there's still there's still plenty of things that I don't love in the New Testament. Um, but I find so much power and so much in the New Testament. And I don't want to see that power go away. I want to uh, keep that alive. And so I view Christ as um, such an amazing role model for me. And I think about Christ a lot and I take his words, uh, very seriously. And I think about, uh, his words, um, very often they move me. And yeah, at the same time, the, the whole theological component has completely changed for me. Yeah. Um, and that's why I just to wrap up that thought, um, I, I feel it's so important at uplift to be able to have sections from the new Testament Mm -hmm. alongside sections from the Dhammapada alongside sections from the Bhagavad Gita alongside sections from, um, the Tao Te Ching, et cetera, Mm -hmm. because there's power in all of these ancient wisdom texts and the secular move is just to say, oh, they're all stupid. Let's get rid of all of them and forget about all of them. But we want to have a post-secular move where we say like, okay, we, we've listened to the secular viewpoint and we value the secular viewpoint, but it's not sufficient. There's still more to life than just transactions. Mm-hmm. There's, there's more to it and there's power in it. And so therefore we hold to the words of Christ alongside these other words. That was beautiful. Thank you for sharing. I'm curious, do you still hold the belief that he died for our sins? I don't. I don't either. I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Um, as far, especially with the transactional piece, say, do you all, do you still, how do I phrase this question? You know, the research that I've done, I've come across several things that have highlighted that there have been several types of Christs throughout Mm -hmm. history, right? Um, One of them is actually Quetzalcoatl that was in back in Mayan times that had the same kind of story that Christ did, was teaching about the tree of life, all sorts of things, was crucified. And, um, And I believe it was Toth, I think it was Toth, an Egyptian, I can't remember, that had a similar a similar, you know, and it's really interesting when you start looking at that and going, okay, there wasn't just this one person, Yahshua ben Joseph, who became Christ later in his life. Mm-hmm. Not in my belief, I don't believe he was anyway, the whole Christ, the virgin birth and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. That was up up for debate for me. Um, but he became Christ later. And there have been several people that have come into earth to be an example in my experience. And 
I think this idea of putting Christ on a pedestal um, creates a shadow that we then live in. And actually, I want to do an episode on this of the shadow, living in the shadow of the cross, hmm. because there's such an archetypal holding within our, especially in the United States and within Christianity of, you know, if Christ were alive today, would he be mocked and persecuted and mm-hmm. crucified? More than yeah. likely, yes. Mm-hmm. So do we not have yeah. that same fear? Hey, if I stand up for what I really yeah. believe, will I be crucified? Yeah. Yeah, I feel that very strongly. And it, it, I live with that every day. I don't know what to make of it. Uh, but um, yeah, I think I think people don't fully wrestle with why Christ was crucified and what it means. He, he gets deluded into this person who's like nice and always compassionate perfect, and perfect. And it's like, well, he was, he was crucified for a reason and it, he wasn't crucified for being nice. Mm-hmm. He was crucified because he stood up against the powerful and he didn't do things the way society thought yeah. they should be done. And there's a ton of power in that, but it gets kind of gets washed aside. It's like, oh, he didn't really mean the things that he said. He was just nice. And right. Yeah. So he was was here to save us. He was born to save us. And I, that is, that is the belief system. I do not buy into any, Mm -hmm. any longer. Mm -hmm. So he's curious your, your beliefs, especially when you start reading all the different um, texts that you've been reading. I was curious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, before we wrap up, because it's almost Christmas with uplift, I'm sure this is a big one for parents. Mm-hmm. You know, I went through the, do I even have a nativity set? What do I do? I, what do I want to do on Christmas? And we've kind of just sure. shifted. I'm curious what you do, what you found helpful to parents. Yeah, we're still in flex on that uh, personally, but I, I the thing that I hold most to is um, family stories. And so one thing that my family of origin did that I really appreciated at Christmas is that we would, uh, with our extended family, we would have, everybody would write out a memory of a person in the family one year, uh, went through every single person in the family or like a place or an event, and they would type it up and then they would get together and they would read their memory about the person. And then they would put those papers in a binder and it would uh, keep getting bigger year after year as the memories accumulated. And so that's a beautiful practice. I love Yeah. Yeah. It was really powerful, really moving. And I feel more and more called to do things like that in my home um, because this, this worldview of like expanding beyond Mormonism makes me even more interested in family history and lineage Mm. because I'm just realizing like I, my family history was Mormon for 200 years, but we were Protestant for way longer and then possibly Catholic for longer and then possibly pagan for way longer. You know, I, I haven't uncovered all of my family lines as the farther back it goes, but um, it's all, it's all family history. Like, and those stories matter too, not just the Mormon stories. And those stories are mine as well. And so I feel more and more interested in um, including all of the stories. So um, not necessarily getting rid of a nativity set, Mm -hmm. but putting the nativity set in context with like owning the full, the full tradition of the solstice season, you know, and Christmas yeah. season. Uh, like you said, the stone Stonehenge, um, my ancestors came from England. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, that's part of my lineage too, you know, mm-hmm. at some level. Uh, and so how can I integrate all of these traditions without, you know, rather than cut off all the traditions mm-hmm. and say like, okay, Christmas is just about exchanging gifts yeah. only. And so it's about um, including more and more rather than excluding more and more. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. I keep, 
I want to ask you two questions that keep popping. Have you ever heard of the Zohar? Zohar, uh, yes. Um, it's not coming to mind right now, though. I know the word. Okay, well, I, I, I'm going to talk to you about that after this. I'm just okay. curious. Um, and the Keys of Enoch? Um, I don't think so. Well, I'll have to ask you about those two questions. Those are some um, older texts that I have come across that are okay. quite fat, They're quite interesting. The Zohar, just for the sake of context, um, is, and I'm, I'm going to botch this. I know I am, but it is um, essentially a secretive text from the cabal that was held mm-hmm. in Jewish communities um, that was only for certain people, the elect. Mm-hmm. And there was a family that just felt very called to go and translate it because they felt that everyone should have this wisdom. Mm. And um, it's really, it's really interesting. The book series, it's also 27 volumes long and I wow. barely even tapped into the first one because wow. it's a lot. Um, and then the keys of Enoch is that one is a, that one's a little bit of an elusive text for me. It's, it's a book that costs around $400 and I've heard within Mormon communities that it is one that circulated within the elite, within mm. Mormonism, um, which I'm not sure if that's true or not. But uh, anyway, since you have you know yeah. shared with different different texts, I was curious if you had heard of those um, before. I'm and excited last, to dig in. My last question to you, do you believe in multiple lives? Uh, that's a good question. Um I haven't given it enough thought to have an opinion, so I'm open, yeah. um, but I'll have to give it more thought to I'm be able to curious. answer. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share? Hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think there is. Okay. And I'm trying to think if I have any other questions for you. I, I mean, I do. We could, like I said, we could, I love having conversations like this. Sure. Um, if there's any advice you would give to anyone that is, I mean, you stayed in five years after you felt like you were done, which is a quite, quite a long time. Right. What, what advice would you give someone that there's a lot of listeners that have one foot in one foot out that are struggling and yeah. um, is, yeah, what advice would you give to them? So I wrote a book called When Mormons Doubt. And uh, the book says that when we, if we can focus on truth, beauty, and goodness, wherever we find it, mm-hmm. then uh, we're going to experience higher well-being in our lives. Yeah. And so... I, I, my personal creed and people can, uh, take it or leave it, but it's, um, if it, if it's true, beautiful or good, I want to keep it. Yeah. And if it's not true, beautiful or good, then I want to cut it. And so I think of a story from Henry Iring, which is Henry B. Iring's dad, when he told his son, uh, go to university and whatever is true. He and very I'm paraphrasing, whatever is true, keep. And you don't have to believe anything that that isn't true. And so I take that as my personal creed. Like if somebody if somebody says something and I discover, oh, that's not true, you know, historically or any any other um sense of the word, then I just say, Yeah, I don't have to believe that. Yeah. I don't have to hold that. Mm-hmm. Um and the same with the others, beauty and goodness. And so if you're in a religion, uh, meaning like attending actively, I think it's really important to be authentic, to, to be able to own and not have self-deception. Yeah, it's just not true. It's just not beautiful. It's just not good. But there are all these aspects that are true, beautiful, and good. And to get clear-eyed about that and firm about that, mm-hmm. Otherwise you're lying to yourself and that is really damaging. Yeah. And so again, for me, it's not so much, are you in, are you out? It's more about, are you, um, 
are you honest in your pursuit of truth, beauty, and goodness? Or are you not honest in your pursuit of truth, beauty, and goodness? Yeah, that's beautiful. I love that. I love that. Thank you. And I think one thing that we forget is that we also can change our minds. You know, a lot of times we have to everything that you're saying, it's like right now, this doesn't feel like truth. I might change my mind later and I'm open to that, but this is what my belief is right now. And I'm okay. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John. Where can people find you? Uh, The best place is upliftkids.org. Awesome. And then I also write at johnogden.com. Oh, perfect. And John is J-O-N, correct? Mm -hmm. And then Ogden. Perfect. Yep. Dot com. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. As always, thank you so much for joining me and such awesome connections. And I really enjoyed the conversation they got to have with John and the resources that he is offering. Again, a reminder to head over to upliftkids.org. And if you use the coupon code holidays, you'll get a $10 off their membership. And that is available through the end of Sunday. Again, follow the link in the show notes along with the coupon code to get your $10 off. And to follow John, I'm going to provide his website. He is a beautiful writer and has also written a book called When Mormons Doubt. And I will provide the link for that as well as his website and where to follow Uplift Kids on social media and really have access to those resources. So wherever you are in your life, I know this is the week of Christmas that this podcast releases. I just want to offer love and support and If you're struggling at all, I invite you to call in an angel, call in someone that just shows you that there is kindness and love on this planet. And or maybe you get to be that angel for someone else, whether it's through a smile or an act of kindness. I just invite you to try and slow down a little bit more as I'm recording this. It is on the solstice and solstice is a magical day. It's the shortest day and the longest night of the year, and in many, many cultures and for many, many years, this day has been celebrated. And I invite you to see the magic of life and to see the unfolding and the beauty and the brilliance of the things of how they're unfolding in your life. And as always, I'm sending you so much love. Know that you are not alone.